Where's the chick from IHOP? She not, you are, thank you. I wanted to make sure you showed up. So I was supposed to have a meal today, a breakfast. It was in my calendar. It's like 10 o'clock. And I called Jerry, and I said, we're going to the coach house at 10? He said, nope. We're supposed to be at the coach house at 9. And I was still in my slippers because I was working on some stuff earlier this morning. I was like, I'm just going to stay in my PJs and keep cranking out some work. And I looked at the clock, and I was like, I got like 11 minutes. Then he calls me back and says, Coach House is closed. So we're going to IHOP. So I went to IHOP for the first time in 15 years today. And I have not eaten since then. <laughs> I have lost the desire to feed thyself. <laughs> but I saw someone rocking this hoodie. And I was like, you better collect it. And I said, you won't be here tonight. And that was, so, I mean, we can wrap it up. That's all I want to make sure is that you got here. But you changed your sweatshirt, which is kind of, I mean, we could have been, hey, brother, we are the same. But you, I get it. I'm not wearing the same clothes that you saw me in this morning. Uh, let's start. What do you say? Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, my friend Matt Cameron was here, uh, and he's been speaking a couple times. I just want to do a mini-devo before I get into my sermon. Um, one of the most important things you can do once you get out of high school, raise your hand if you're out of high school. Okay, put your hand down. Uh, one of the most important things you can do once you get out of high school is make a really, really, really good friend. Uh, chances of you rolling with your high school homie, slim to none. Just how it works out. Like, all of my best friends, we get together once a year. They want me to take them to a strip club. I say no. They go, come on, please. I'm like, no. They're like, you're the only one who can drive. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> and they're like, please. I'm like, no, I'm not getting glitter in my car. Like, we're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> and all of those people are not, I mean, they're just, they're, it's not good. Okay? <laughs> not doing well. Um, but... Uh, some of the friends you will make past high school uh, could potentially be people that will be a uh, factor in your life for the duration of your life. And girls, let me be clear real quick. Not even getting into sermon. 22 minutes, promise I'm going I'm to hit my mark. Girls, uh, that friend is not a dude, okay? Just need to say that. Like, I need you to realize that every male relationship that you have right now if you don't marry him, you ain't going to be friends, okay? You might see each other in the store and be like, oh, my gosh, you have six kids too? But that's about it. Guys, hear me. I'm going to speak some truth to you. It's not a chick. I know you might be thinking, I'm going to marry her, but that girl, we're going to be, like, so close. Nope. That is not good, okay? What you want, guys, is you want a really solid dude. Girls, you want a really solid girl for you that will go along life with you and root for you spiritually, maritally, occupationally, emotionally. And Matt Cameron uh, is that for me, and I am that for Matt Cameron. And so when my marriage gets a little funky, I have a safe person that I can call that's going to root for my marriage and not go, yeah, she's a train wreck too, man. I'm sorry, dude. I, you, know, you want someone who's going to root for you. And I am thankful that you guys have had an opportunity to start interacting with him because he's been a tremendous blessing in my life, and I want him to be able to bless your life. Second thing. I want you to know how much I love this crew. Um, 
having a vibrant uh, college age uh, 20 something ministry is uh, changing our church at three of our locations and I could not be more thankful for you I love it when you guys are at our weekend services the energy the vibe that you bring absolutely love it so I'm thankful for your attendance I'm thankful for those of you who are serving in various capacities at our church because you do an awesome job than a lot of the other people I'm thankful for your example in worship I just wanted to start off my entire message letting you guys know that I am super thankful for you and some of you are showing up here and you're answering the prayers of your parents and grandparents that your parents and grandparents are going when my kid goes off to college when my kid leaves high school I hope they find faith I hope they stay in it and you being here and going on this journey is an is you answering prayers that they have prayed to God and that is just something too special to pass up uh, what I want to do today is I'm going to talk to you about something super practical okay I want to talk to you today about tent making. I'm going to talk to you about what it is, uh, how to do it, and then I'm going to talk to you about why you should do it. And those of you who are kind of new to faith, exploring your faith, are going, what in the world is tent making? And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's making tents. Aren't you glad you came? Isn't this so cool? All right. So uh, there is a misconception today that the most spiritual uh, people uh, are the pastors and staff of a church. That the most committed people in a church are the pastors and the staff. The truth is, I'm letting the cat out of the bag here, that is rarely the case. Oftentimes, the most spiritual and the most committed people in a body of believers are not the paid staff. The true pastors and staff at any one of our locations or at any church you go to are people where the call of God on their life was so clear, so strong, so compelling that to do anything else with their life would be rebellious and sinful. That is who should be on paid staff at a church. They believe that God was calling them into full-time ministry where they would live and die, have their needs met, and if their needs couldn't be met, they would adjust their needs. They would lower their expectations, all in an effort to make their preoccupation, making people know about Jesus, their occupation. For men, this is called ordination. And for women, this is at our church, it's called commissioning. Now, he's not here tonight, which kind of frustrates me, because Chris Hickman, do you guys know Chris Hickman? Okay, one clap, okay. Um, So Chris Hickman, uh, when I married him and Jenna, he bought me these shoes. And since I put them in my sermon, I'm rocking the J's he bought me. And then he no-shows me. Okay. Um, Here's why I'm telling you this about Chris Hickman. That is uh, where Chris and Jenna feel right now that Chris feels like he is supposed to be in full-time ministry for the rest of his life, that God gets to uh, completely direct what he does occupationally inside the realms of serving Jesus on mission all the time inside of a local body of believers. And I don't know if you guys, uh, you know, use your phones for calendars and stuff, but I want to invite you to something. On February 6th, the weekend before Super Bowl weekend, Sunday, February 6th, 
Chris Hickman is going to get ordained. Yeah, super cool. And he's going to do it at our Hannibal location. So if you were going, man, I would love like a super cool place to take a hot date on a Sunday night, the weekend before Super Bowl. That Sunday night, uh, you will get to see what an ordination looks like. I was actually ordained. Right there. I remember it. <coughs> Profoundly special to me. I'll never forget it. And uh, I want you, if you, I want, I think it would just be good for you to see one take place. So I'd love to see like a hundred of you there. It'd be a blast. Okay. So that's what, uh, and the women, they get commissioned, which is very similar. So what is tent making? Clayton, you're talking about ordination. I thought we were talking about tent making. Here's what tent making is. Tent making is when you make tents instead of getting ordained. It shows up in scripture. Acts chapter uh, 18. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. I, I hope this gets said enough. The Bible is not just a spiritual book, it is a historical book. So what you're describe, what's being told to you right here is actually a historical event. The Bible is not make-believe. It's not a bunch of crazy, silly stories that people just put together about mythical creatures and a spiritual reality that nobody's ever touched. It is also a historical book. The entire Old Testament is as relevant to history as your U.S. history book is in your classroom. If you are a Jewish person, it is the story of your country. Their King David is our George Washington. So here, they're telling us about a historical event that happened in Rome. You know, Rome as in, like, Italy. Just want to, some people are like, well, this is really cool. It's just all make-believe. Well, I know where Rome is. I've seen it on a map. Okay? Paul lived and worked with them, for they were, everybody say this word. Uh, tent makers. There it is. Right in the Bible. Guess what tent makers means? Making tents. That's the third time we've been through this. It's going to be a long night. Okay? Tent makers, just as he was. Paul was a... And tent makers, what do they do? That, you guys are so smart. I think you guys are going to get an A in school. Okay? Now, check this out. Each Sabbath, that was Saturday, uh, kind of think of it as our Sunday, church day. They found Paul in the synagogue. That's a Jewish word for church. Okay? trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. Super cool. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So here is what happened. Paul would get up every single Monday, and he would make, and on Tuesday, he would make, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? No, Saturday's the Sabbath. It's kind of like our Sunday. Geek. Come on, guys. Keep up. And on Saturday, he would tell people about Jesus. He would work all week making a tent so he had some change in his pocket. So that way on Saturday, he could go tell people about Jesus. Paul was a, a tent maker. Would it surprise you that most of the New Testament, 
was written by somebody who did not have a full-time job at a church. Some of the best sermons, greatest demonstrations of God's power were done through someone who was not on staff at a church. They worked a secular job to provide for their physical needs, and they used their free time to point people to Jesus and accomplish his mission. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, or teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always to the very end of the age. These verses are to have universal impact and universal obedience from all people who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Raise your hand if you call yourself a Christian. Okay, so that verse is for you. This is not about staff member or non-staff member, paid or non-paid, leader or server. It is about making the glorious work of Jesus known among the lost, forgotten, overlooked, and unreached. This job is not just for me. This job is for you. You don't go, man, I'm going to go into full-time ministry, and then I'm going to be all about the Great Commission. Nope. When you come out of the waters of the baptistry, and you're still soaking wet, regardless of if you're a welder, a teacher, person going to school for becoming a chiropractic person, whether you're going to be the person who's like, I'm just going to take photos because I'm just going to start my own photo thing where I just take photos all the time. Listen, your job is to make disciples. That's what you're supposed to do. For years, the people who had the greatest impact on my spiritual development were not pastors or youth pastors or staff members. It was a factory worker who taught my Sunday school class. She made pins for a living. She was a pin maker. It was the barber who was an elder at our church. He was a hair cutter. It was college students who didn't do anything but go to college. It was bankers and farmers. Do you want to know the people who made me who I am in Christ? It was people who had regular, stinking jobs. And on Sunday, they told people about Jesus. I didn't have a youth pastor uh, ever. I didn't have a college pastor ever. I didn't have a 20-something pastor ever. I had an old fuddy-duddy preacher who was in his 70s all the time. That's who I had. And a mom and dad who loved Jesus and a bunch of people who worked regular stinking jobs and on Sunday taught people about Jesus. That's how I was fashioned. That's how I was formed. And if you're going, man, I gotta be on staff to make a difference. Nope. In fact, you can make a bigger difference when you're not on staff. I'm going to get to that. They were people who had an ordinary jobs with an extraordinary commitment to the advancement of the gospel. So how do you be a tent maker? This is where, uh, well, Paul goes out of his way multiple times in Scripture, and so does Peter to point out how to live and work. Colossians chapter 3 says this, and what's that first word? And, come on, guys, stay up to speed. Colossians chapter 3, and what's the second word? Yeah, uh, what's whatever mean? Take a guess. Say it louder. Yeah, that's exactly right. Not complicated, guys. You can read your Bible on your own. And 
whatever you do, whether in word or in deed. So word is well with your, yes, and deed is with your, yeah, with your actions, with your body, okay? I'm wording and deeding up here, folks. Do it, do it, what's that word? How much is all? You, ah, golly, we're going to get this. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're doing it in the name of Jesus. Have you ever done something in the name of? Like, have you ever had to apologize to somebody that your parents told you to apologize to? If you could actually have said what you really meant to say, what you wanted to say is, I'm apologizing in the name of my mom, okay? She told me to come over here and say, I can't throw eggs at you anymore, okay? Like, I'm doing this in the name of. Whatever you do, and I do, do it all, everything, all of it, whoa, there's some implications there, not going to get into it, but it's a little weird. All the things, do it all uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him, eight minutes. Ephesians chapter 5 says, imitate God therefore in, what's this word? Okay, take a guess, without even getting into the Greek and the Hebrew, what's the word everything mean? Yeah, okay, another, a synonym, oh, careful, Clayton, lots of words there. Synonym, actually syllables, not words, syllables. Synonym, what's a synonym for uh, everything? Oh, good grief, it's all there. Uh, You do, because you are his dear children. Hold on a second, has your dad ever said, hey, remember what your last name is? Like you're going to the baseball game or the basketball game or the football game, like, hey, whatever you do tonight, just remember what your last name is, because I don't want this reflecting on me. Okay, dad. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, okay? First Peter chapter 2, let's do one more. Live such good lives among the pagans. Who are pagans? People who don't know Jesus yet. Okay, this is a, kind of a mean word for them. Okay, so let's not quote that one. Um, live such good lives among people who don't know Jesus yet. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So five ways to be a tent maker if you're a person who takes notes. Number one, you work as if it's worship. You don't worship your work, but you use your work to worship Jesus. Doing it as if you are shipping it, installing it, building it, or processing it to Jesus Christ himself. I shattered my phone in a sermon a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I had to get a new phone, and it's not working yet. We're, we're, we're solving that problem because my sermon illustration cost me $1,000. <laughs> and because the case was not life-proof, uh, and <laughs> apparently you can lose your salvation, okay? So uh, I got my phone delivered to my house today, and the UPS driver, I hear, ding, ding, kunk. I'm like, ah, what's that? I'm thinking my kids are, like, trying to come in the house. Nope. I opened the door, and this son of a fellow made all that noise with my iPhone. Was he delivering that to Jesus' house? Hard pass? No, he wasn't. No. Had I been Jesus, I'd have set him on fire. I'd have, yeah. I'd have made his hand yeah, mine. Okay? Question, seriously, just for a second, roll with me. If you were delivering an iPhone to Jesus' house, how would you do it? Whoa. Okay. Question. How many of you have a job? I'm going to take, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 30 minutes. All right. I'm, I'm not, I'm going 30, not doing 25 anymore. Who raised your hand over here? What's your job? 
you. No, you. So what does that mean? What does that mean? What do you do? You play in events. Okay. So Jesus rings you up on the, you got to help me because I don't have a real job. Okay. So uh, Jesus calls you up. What's your name? Kyla. Kyla, I want you to play in me in events. How good of a job are you going to do? That's exactly stinking right. Because whatever you do, you're doing it as if you're doing it to Jesus. Uh, I grew up in a vet clinic, slept on the floor for, uh, from kindergarten through sixth grade. Cool place to live. And um, my dad believed in child labor, so my job was to answer the phone. Kid you not. And so that's what I did. Like, when people were busy, you know, petting dogs or whatever, like, and the phone started to ring, my dad would look at me like, you got to pick up the phone. And just so you know, my dad dialed it in to me that when you answer the phone, you answer the phone as if Jesus Christ himself is on the other end. <laughs> and I'd be like, thank you for calling Fort Madison Veterinary Clinic. This is Clayton Hensel. How can I help you? <laughs> Nailed it. And when I hear someone call, like, the church, and I hear someone pick up, hello? What if it was Jesus on the phone? Okay. So first part is you work as worship, as if you're doing it unto Jesus. Gut check question, is that what you're doing? Yeah, that's what I thought. Work is response. How has God treated you? Rhetorical question, don't raise your hand. How has he treated you? How have you been treated by Jesus? I want you to be as gracious, as long-suffering, as caring, and as compassionate to the people you work with and the people you work for in response to how gracious and compassionate he has been to you. How many of you have a crappy coworker? Oh, yeah. We even have them at church. Okay, my hand is up for real. Okay? Okay? I wasn't going to mention Abby's name, but I mean, she's here. Okay? I'm joking. She's actually one of my favorites. Um, so, <laughs> dang it, Abby. That person that gets on your nerves, how do you... How do you? Well, you do you as if Jesus Christ <laughs> had been gracious and kind and compassionate and slow to anger and loving and caring. That's how you treat them. Work as light, number three. Set yourself apart by being an example. Make every boss, every manager wish that everyone else around you was more like you. What that means is, you show up early, you're not lazy, you don't lie, you don't cheat, and you take all the jobs that nobody else wants. That's what you do. You go in there and you do your job in such a way that they take notice of you and notice that there's something different about you. Uh, most Amish people are richer than your parents. Did you know that? That the average Amish family, I think now it has like uh, about $125,000 cash on hand. And suckers be rolling in them buggies. Okay? Listen, do you, know why, do you know why Amish people are so wealthy? It's not because they don't have electricity. That's not how you get there. Like, Mom, Dad, we could be millionaires if we just, you know, turned off the lights. That's not it. It's because to, to a man, when you interact with the Amish, you know that you're interacting with somebody who will treat you honorably. 
respectfully, won't take advantage of you, because when the Amish work, they are working as unto the Lord. They set themselves apart. You talk to any boss, any employer, and they're looking for good, decent, honorable employees who will treat the business as their own. Right now, the opportunities for you to be evangelistic in the workforce are unbelievable. You should make the best Carter's coffee. You should make the best Starbucks coffee. You should flip the best stinking burger that McDonald's has. You should be the most cheerful person in the drive-thru line. You should be working your butt off to be the best welder, the best painter, best fabricator, best teacher. If you're not, if every Christian isn't being nominated for the Golden Apple Award, we're failing. We should be the best. And people should be going, how do I get more Christians to work for me? That's what God's calling us to. Do you think Paul's tent stunk? Do you think they leaked? No. He was doing it under the glory of God. I bet it was the best tent. It was like the Dooney and Burke tent. Is Dooney and Burke still a thing? Yep, maybe. No. Gucci? There we go. It's like a Gucci tent. That's what he sold. He had his, all right, I'm not going to go there. I can't afford that stuff anyway. Uh, work as mission. See yourself, that's number four. Work as mission. See yourself as a missionary on a mission from God. See yourself as planted by God in your workplace to point people to Jesus. If you don't do well at the first three, work is worship, work, work, uh, work is response, and work is a light, your words will carry no weight. The last thing I want you to do is be a sucky employee and then try and tell people about Jesus. You mean that lazy guy's talking to people about Jesus again? Oh, what are you doing? You mean the guy who shows up late all the time is trying to tell people about Jesus? right your boss is sitting there going yeah uh, don't go to his church he doesn't go on time oh you make it to church on time but not work okay okay next one oh hold on work his mission i want you to see yourself as the pastor of your team your locker room your work truck your sales floor and your office you are the pastor last one work as a platform Working a secular job, being a tent maker or a school teacher or a bus driver gives you opportunities to be around lost people. The number one way people come to church is when someone asks them to come to church. It's not through advertising. It's when somebody asks them. Do you know what the worst part about my job is? Everybody I interact with already knows Jesus. I don't know any people that don't know Jesus other than I keep saying hi to all the chicks at the McDonald's drive-thru, but apparently they all go to our church now. So I don't, I'm not going to another fast-food restaurant, so I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay? One of, one of my biggest regrets, and people who work on our staff, who leave their workplace and they come and work on staff, one of the biggest things that they regret is they used to be in the office and in the bank and getting an opportunity to point people to Jesus. You have a tremendous opportunity. Your effectiveness doesn't start when you come on staff. Your effectiveness starts the moment you realize that you are placed there by God to make a difference for God. If you do these things that I just told you, work is worship, work is response, work is light, work is mission, work is your platform. Be prepared to be promoted, recruited, empowered, and blessed financially. Because let me tell you something, as an employer, I pay people. Do you know who you want to give raises to? The people that do the best. 
Do you know the people that you're willing to part with your cash for are the people who are knocking it out of the park? When you show up at a job and you outshine absolutely everybody else, that boss, that manager is going to go, look, look, we've got to lock this person down so they don't realize how good they are and try and go someplace else. They're going to go, we should stop letting them sweep the floors and we should have them in charge of all the people who do sweep floors. Be prepared. God's way is the best way. That when you do things for the glory of God, it sets you apart from everybody else. Which means you'll have more opportunities, more privilege, more leadership, and more money. And it'll give you a chance to make more money, give more money, care for more people, and take care of God's mission. So why should you be a tent maker? And then I'll close. First reason that we need to be a tent maker is that this world is growing darker by the moment. You know it and I know it. You feel it. And right now, our natural desire is if we could just get everybody to go to church. Because it's the biggest flashlight in town. We'll just bring all the people to the light. But that is not the most effective way for it to take place. The most effective way is for the light to leave the church and go out into the dark places. And when you leave this place and you go into your classroom and you're the best student in the class, Maybe you're not the smartest, but you work the hardest and you're most courteous and you don't fall asleep in class and you show up for your job and you work harder than everybody else and you take the jobs that nobody else wants. You are bringing a light into a dark and hopeless situation. Most people are trapped in their jobs. They feel alone in their jobs and all of a sudden now, because you're there, there's a pastor at their job and you see yourself as a pastor and you conduct yourself as a pastor. These are my people. This is my congregation. The third shift at Dairy Queen this is my small group. And while I'm making blizzards, while I'm putting Oreos in it and making myself a cookie jar, putting a little bit of, put a little chocolate chip cookie dough in it, while I'm doing all that and I'm making it in the best way and I flip it upside down, you know, it doesn't even move. I'm doing it all for the glory of God and I'm doing it in such a way where it's winsome to other people. And I pick up a shift because somebody else is having something going and go, I got it. And then you take their shift and you still give them the money for the work that they had to miss and you're like, I'm your pastor second reason people everywhere no matter who they are no matter what they've done no matter what they believe i need you to hear this one they deserve to be treated with love and dignity and respect all of them do and when you whatever it is that you're doing you take that moment and you acknowledge their humanity and you recognize that they were made in the image of God, and you go above and beyond, you're honoring them. People that maybe don't deserve it, and people who desperately need it. Have you ever, raise your hand, have you ever had an encounter with somebody and it just made your day? Oh my goodness. Why in the heck are we doing that every day? Go out of your way, in the middle of doing something, say, hey, I know this might be crazy, can I just give you a hug? I think you're great. I hope you have a great day. I had a little bit of faith every so often just said, hey, man, it sounds like you're going through a rough spot. Can I just pray with you real quick? If you say no, that's fine. I'm going to pray for you anyway because I can talk to God quietly and he hears it. But if you want me to pray out loud, I'd be willing to do that too. There's about 200 people that come here on a regular basis. What if you weren't like 200 people that attended collective, but you were 200 pastors that came in here to get energized? That's what I see. That's what I want. 
you will see more lost people in one day at work than our staff will see in a month. You're going to be the Jesus they see before they ever meet me. And more than likely, you're going to be the one who points them to Jesus. I may have a small part to play in it. Corey may have a small part to play in it. But you're going to be the one who makes the difference. When they get to heaven, they're not going to be looking for me to give me the high five. They're going to come looking for you because you're a pastor. You see yourself as commissioned and set out by God to make a difference in your classroom and in your work. We believe that God is real. Jesus is alive and the Bible is true. That this life is not all that there is and that there is something eternal coming that people need to be prepared for. That's why we're tent makers. We leave this place and we go out to offer hope to the hopeless, healing to the broken. We leave and we be tent, we're tent makers because it matters. We don't want to be stuffed up in an office all day at a church. We don't want to be a part of all the staff meetings and the emails and the phone calls. We actually want to be out where the people are, loving them, caring for them, be in the hands and feet of Jesus. We want to be the pastors in the store. We want to be the pastors of the drive-through. That's who we want to be, because we're tent makers. People need hope. They need peace. They need forgiveness. They need grace. They need mercy. They need better leaders, better friends, better counselors. That's why we're tent makers. Because you know what tent makers make? Jesus followers. That's what they do. They don't make tents. They make infants in Jesus. They're not, they don't make tents. They make disciples. They don't make tents. They make converts. They don't make tents. They make a difference. They don't make tents. They make change. That's what they do. And you could be a tent maker for Jesus. I'm not saying that to discourage any of you from going into full-time ministry, because if God places that on your heart, you are called to it, obligated to it, and don't you dare run from it. But many of you, God is going to call you to a more, a more glorious position. He is going to call you to a more glorious calling. And that calling is for you to wake up every day and walk into a world that will pay you to be there. And much like missionaries on the field, you will enter in the, into the doors of that store and you'll be the best A&T representative that anybody else has ever had. You'll be the best person at the DMV that anybody's ever worked with. You'll be the best person on the line that they've ever employed. And the whole time you're there, you'll be praying for the people that are next to you, ministering to the people that are hurting, caring for the broken, and showing them Jesus. In just a few moments, there's some of you in here that you're going, man, Clayton, i got to be honest with you, uh, I don't know how I got here because your sermon wasn't about that at all. But you're going, I need to start an intimate personal relationship with Jesus. My life isn't on mission. My life is lacking direction. It's not where it's supposed to be. And if you're here, uh, there's going to be two people, one person on this side and one person on the other side that would love an opportunity to talk with you. And they're going to get in that spot right now, and there's no reason for you not to have that conversation. If you're here, you could start that intimate personal relationship with Jesus tonight. For the rest of you in this room, who you already have a relationship with Jesus, here's what I want. And I don't come here often enough, so you're going to give it to me because 
honest. Here's what I want you to do. Whether you come up here and get down on your knees, and I, I want to encourage you to do that. Or if you do it right at your seat and you just get down on one knee or both knees right in your chair, I want you to pray a super simple prayer. God, help me to see myself as a pastor at my, and then fill in the blank, where did you work? Start there. Second thing I want you to say to God is I want you to pray for the people you work with. So Clayton, my boss is a jerk. Yeah. And when was the last time that jerk got prayed for? God, this chicken I work with, she's always gossiping. Yeah, why is she gossiping? Have you asked yourself that question? Is she running people down because she's been run down her whole life? Is she running people down because nobody's looked at her in the eyes and said, I love you and I accept you and I care for you? Is she biting at you because she's hurt? And when was the last time someone tried to love her? Oh, and I know, you're going to go in tomorrow and you're going to pray for her and you're going to expect it all to be better. And she's still going to be gossipy and mean. I'm like, well, God, I, I tried. Well, it's a good thing God didn't have that short of a temper with you. Oh, he was long-suffering. And he kept taking it, kept putting up with it. He said, Father, forgive them while they were doing it. And eventually, his love got through. Maybe you pray for some long-suffering, enduring love. God, however long it takes. God, I'm not leaving this job until so-and-so finds you. I'm not treating this job like a job. It's a mission field. And until you call me away from it, I'm not leaving it. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of group of people I want to belong to. And I think, I think you do too. And the only thing keeping that from happening is us. Right now. Would you stand with me? God, with my whole heart, I am optimistic about the future. And I am pessimistic about Satan. I believe with my whole heart that the winds are turning. Not in our favor. They're turning against us. But God, you've given us the ability to sail against the wind. God, the tides can go out, but you've supplied us with enough power to reach your heavenly shores. I'm praying that right now, in this moment, in this room, that people would feel an extreme sense of your calling, clarity around who they're supposed to pray for and witness to and reach out to, that tomorrow would be a day with personal and missional clarity, that we would wake up knowing who we're supposed to do all these things for, that that would be you. And God, that when we walk into our schools, we walk into our environments, we would see ourselves as pastors, recognize that these are our sheep and that they need to be cared for and loved. God, put that burden on our heart. Make it heavy. So heavy, we can't neglect it. So heavy, we can't ignore it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.